two and two and one. Oh, shucks, I can't dance. Hello and welcome to Stories from the Open Gov, a podcast dedicated to telling the stories about what open government and open data look like. My name is Richard Pietro, and I am joined by Mike Donis. He's a commercial editor, actor, and independent filmmaker. He had a brief appearance on The Boys and his creation and his creation, Pete Winning and the Pirates, can be found on Amazon Prime. And the reason he's here with us today is because he's gonna share with the audience what he thinks the open government and open data community could do using stories. Hello, Mike, and thanks for joining us. Hey, how's it going? I love that energy, that's wonderful. <laughs> All right, so my first question for you is, is quite simply, like, what is it that you find fascinating about filmmaking and storytelling? The thing specifically about filmmaking and storytelling that I like is the ability for me to experience different points of view and see people from different sides in an imaginary world where I'm able to be both immersed and at the same time outside of. When you're talking about being immersed, and can you explain the importance that what a good story can do for like emotions and feelings and because there's some of there's a lot of tv shows and movies out there that just don't seem to get you involved whatsoever like what makes that that difference i think that there has to be people in the story uh or an aspect of the story um that that you personally identify with at least for me i know like like if i if I find a certain topic interesting and the, and the story is exploring sides of that topic, or, or if I find a certain, uh, a, a certain kind of character fascinating, you know, somebody, somebody who, who maybe isn't, uh, isn't the kind of person who I am, but might be the kind of person I would want to be, or might mm -hmm. be the kind of person I would not want to be. And I can, I can sort of see them go about their, day or life or whatever in a way that allows me to feel like I'm experiencing it through their eyes. Yeah, it's, you, you need to relate to that character like you were saying, but you need to also want them to succeed a little bit. You know, we're both fans of Star Wars. Uh, we may not think of ourselves as, as farmers, but we can relate with what Luke Skywalker is going through and we want to make sure that he's able to accomplish his mission. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people like to use Star Wars as an example. Like you said, you and I are not farmers, and, and absolutely nobody that has ever watched Star Wars has ever lived on Tatooine in the desert. And so, uh, but a lot of us can identify with not feeling like you necessarily belong where you are and wanting to become something that you consider is more useful to your world. It's exhilarating to see how he can, you know, really become this this universal hero so you've been in this a filmmaker for a long time you've written some of your own projects you've directed you've edited are there some rules that you in particular typically follow when you write or when you tell a story that that it's like i can't i, I gotta do this no matter what it is that i do this has got to be exemplified in my story i always i've always uh, i think it was alfred hitchcock who said this but he always said, 
that when uh, when making a, a, a movie, what was the oh man, what was the what was the wording that he used? But basically, he said the running length of the screenplay cannot exceed the capacity of the human bladder. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that that's actually very very profound because. Uh, how many times? How many times are you involved in a in a in a in a movie or something? And you're you're sitting in a movie theater, and it's really really good, and you don't want to leave, but you you got to pee real bad, and uh, that's actually now taking you out of the out of the story that the filmmakers wanted you to be immersed in, right? Because you now you're focusing on something that they did not anticipate you were going to be focusing on. So so basically, what you're trying to say is it's a little bit like that Shakespeare quote of brevity is the soul of wit. Like whatever story you're you're putting together, don't take a long time to say it. Just get to the point. I've I've I, you know a lot of the a lot of the work that I've done as an editor for for my own projects, but also for for if I've been hired on other people's projects. A lot of people sometimes come to me and they ask me how they can how they can trim things down and and uh, yeah, telling the telling the story that you can tell in the absolute least amount of time that you can possibly tell it while still allowing for it to have the complete and full emotional impact is very important. The, I'm, re, I'm reminded of one of my biggest, sorry, let me rephrase. One of, one of the filmmakers that I love the most is David Fincher. And if you're not familiar with David Fincher, he's the, the, the director behind uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Fight Club, uh, The Social Network. And his career actually started in commercials and in music videos where he had to, he only had like 30 seconds, a minute, maybe a few minutes for a music video to relay a story. So when he took those skills and brought it over to filmmaking, he retained that sort of mantra of get to the point, use the, the whole canvas, not just the words to tell the story. And that's what makes him such a talented filmmaker. I'd never actually connected his brilliance to his experience doing commercials and music videos, but that's actually a really good point. I, I, I almost thought of it the other way around. I would have thought that he would have been really good at doing the commercials and music videos because he had a knack for very powerfully telling things visually with regard to static images and also temporal images. Uh, but it's very possible that he cut his teeth, so to speak, on that stuff. That's actually, that's a really good point. I wish it was my point. It's something that I, like I said, I've, I've studied him quite a bit and I heard that interpretation from somewhere else and maybe even him in one of his interviews. But, uh, but I think, yeah, getting to, and that's one of the hardest things. I think you, myself, and a lot of people listening right now, they've written a lot of content. And what is it that you cut out? Like it's a beautifully written paragraph or it's a beautifully written line but is it absolutely necessary and cutting those those segments those sections those paragraphs can be really painful sometimes because you know it's you love the writing that you've had yeah i mean that's why it's really good i think to get other people to give you give you the ideas on how to do that because i find that an outside perspective of suggestions of what to cut can can help you realize what you want to keep because i mean pr provided that you're not literally just reluctant to change anything because that makes no sense <laughs> uh but but if uh like what i what i what i sometimes try to do if i'm e editing something is i'll cut something down farther than i think it needs to go like i'm aware that i'm being more 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 broad and brutal with the edits than i need to be 
in order to actually then look at what the result is and say, well, what's missing from this now? Mm, that's really clever, actually. Yeah, I'm quite the genius. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think I came up with that. I'm sure someone recommended me doing that once. I'm, I, I honestly don't don't know now, but but it's definitely helped, and it, and it's and it's definitely helped other filmmakers too, because a lot of the time, uh, if I'm working on their films as an editor and 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 they ask me to trim stuff out, again, I get I get very extreme with it a lot of the time you know they'll 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 be working on a movie that might be you know two hours long and they 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 want it to be 90 minutes long so I'll try my best to make them an 80 minute cut and then they can look at it and then kind of put back put back pieces that that they felt were were a little too ruthlessly removed but Mm -hmm. but it ends up but it ends up letting letting them really know what to them is important in their story. And, and they can, they can then also get used to a version that was a lot shorter. So adding things in, they don't now feel that that version is too short necessarily because it's now a, a slower, longer version of the version they already watched. So it just kind of helps you sort of reset your expectations of what the rhythms should be in the, in the, in the story to, uh, to then kind of re reformat them with the target and product in mind. Yeah, and on a related note, I remember a while back watching a video called How Star Wars Was Saved in the Edits. Oh, yeah. And That's a great video. I yeah. loved it. Oh, it's wonderful. It's 20 minutes long. For, for those of you who have never heard of it or seen it, it's about 20 minutes long, and it explains how the original cut of Star Wars from the original editor, and by that we mean A New Hope 1977 version, um, they, they completely re-edited, and they made some drastic changes they took a lot a lot of stuff that was just getting in the way it's a fascinating look into how uh, editing and and cutting uh more precisely can can really fine-tune a story so i want to switch gears a little bit so that's one of the rules that you follow in terms of like get to the point be brief smart editing what are some of the mistakes though that you make in the past when writing or telling a story that you're like, I got to stop making this mistake or I, I, I make this mistake too often, or I got to make sure I don't make this mistake. It might be, I guess my answer to that might be just a, honestly, an elaboration to the last question. Sometimes, I mean, I know, I know for a fact when I was starting out, when I look back on a lot of those projects, I find I left a lot in that I really didn't need. And, and, and I think that maybe, maybe at the time, you know, if we're, if we're talking about early projects of, 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 of the film school era, I, I, I didn't necessarily ask for, for, for outside opinions and, and, and feedback because I was just making my story and it didn't matter. And, but when I actually look at the, at the result of it now, I'm like, oh yeah, you know what? I totally done something with that. And I just didn't. So now I, I guess, conversely, sometimes I maybe find myself going a little too far too sorry i'm gonna interrupt you when you say too far do you mean like taking like taking too many chances on where you can bring your audience or are you t- talking about you know I'm, I'm just telling giving the audience too much information that they don't need yeah that that too much information they don't need like for example if you've got a guy who's at the grocery store and he's buying his uh his apples for the week and then he goes home and eats an apple because that's a riveting story, right? So let's pretend pretend that's your story. You know, you could, you could, you could show him at the grocery store and 
then you could cut to him eating the apple. Or you could show him at the grocery store and you could show him waiting in line and paying for it and then driving home for 15 minutes and then getting home and eating the apple. Or you could just start your story with him biting into an apple. And at the end of the day, the fact that he has an apple uh, might be the only important part of the story. And therefore, uh, you know, you didn't need to show all that other stuff. But sometimes, sometimes it's hard to see that without it being shown to you. I remember also one of the first lessons that I learned about storytelling is the element of growth is required in a character, particularly your lead character. There has to be a learning experience. There has to be that arc. And in, in a lot of instances, in a lot of instances, um, that arc is missing. That's that growth of the individual is not present. Um, would you agree with, with that's a, a common mistake that's made? Um, it's interesting. It's interesting that specific that specific uh, example because I think that I think that you could, in theory, make a story where the point of the story is that this <laughs> yeah. character didn't yeah. grow. For example, like uh, like Seinfeld, right? Is a great where where the whole point of Seinfeld is that so these guys are. To, wait, can I swear? Uh, Am I allowed to swear? Post? No, that's no, okay. I'm going to beep it out in post. Please continue with, with your Seinfeld that again. Yeah, I'll say that again. Okay, great. No, but the whole point of Seinfeld is uh, it's letting us laugh at the at the little nitty gritty things that human beings, and even if we're honest with ourselves, that sometimes we ourselves do, uh, that aren't nice and that aren't good. And these guys just don't get it and don't grow and don't evolve. And that's the point. And and that's why the comedy in Seinfeld works so much because these guys just don't get it. In that in that example, the characters didn't need to grow, and and that was a that that was the point, and that was why it was great. So, uh, but I think that in many stories, the the purpose is to is to it it it's it's exhilarating for us to see somebody change because I think that change is something that's hard for a lot of us. I know for me it is. You know, you let's look at the fact that we're all right now stuck in in self-isolation right that's a big change it's difficult for a lot of people and uh i think because change is hard it's really interesting to see uh examples when we get to know these characters and we get to know who they are and get to see examples of of how someone can change and and you're so very right and this is where i'm going to pivot the conversation a little bit to open government and open data because we're talking about change and when it comes to open gov and open data, civic technology, smart cities, whatnot, we're talking about changing the way government governs. We're changing about the way government works. And that can be a very daunting and scary enterprise for a number of different reasons. Some people may be afraid to lose their jobs. Some people are maybe, maybe not just not ready to learn a new way of doing things. And, and I think this is where storytelling can play a role in essentially almost paving a path and demonstrating what that change could be and what it could look like. W would you agree with that? I think, I think that stories have the power to, to change the world. And I think that therefore, yes, of course. I mean, look at, look at the stories in the Bible. They sure impacted the world pretty heavily, right? Mm -hmm. uh, lots of religious texts are just, you know, pile of stories. So I think that, uh, I think that absolutely there's, there's no question that if you were to effectively tell a story that 
communicated the idea that you wanted to. I mean, telling it effectively is the key. I don't see why. By definition, if you effectively told the story, people would understand what you were talking. So one of the things, though, that these are some of the conversations that I that I have, not so much for the public service, but people sort of around my life about the work that I try to do. And I tell them that I try to create stories around sort of the government and, and bureaucracies and things of that nature. And the, the, the initial reactions that I have are like, but this is boring, right? The subject is boring. Bureaucrats are boring. The setting, like the office environment is boring. Can you share with us some ways on how you can take something that's boring and make it compelling? Well, arguably a courtroom is, is kind of boring, but a few good men sure as hell isn't. And I think that, I think that the key with, with any story being something that's, that's, that's enjoyable to experience is uh, is finding characters that we can care about or root for or empathize with in some capacity and and see how they can you know become better people or overcome obstacles or or, or, or anything like that and if you were to find a way to do that with some some bureaucrat in some story in theory you could totally have a a storyline that was that was riveting uh that that focused on it i mean there were there, there'd be other ways to go about it too you could also make a play with genre and, and 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 tell a story in a future where life is like that and and have that be how you show it right like it could it could totally just be you're making an act action adventure movie or something but it's set in a future where open government is a thing and the storyline is not about teaching people about open government it's just about you know being awesome and then open government is something that they naturally just kind of understand the concept of by having seen it in action in your story that would be another way that you could maybe go about it right so you, you mentioned characters and there are believe you me i've been in the space for about 10 years there are plenty of public servants that are heroes. They have qualities of heroes. They are Luke Skywalkers and, and, and Princess Leia's in their own rights. But any story needs to have a, a protagonist. It needs to have a villain of some kind. And in, in typical stories, it's easy to portray Darth Vader as a villain. But the values of open government and open data and whatnot is, is all about collaboration. So... How do you reconcile this idea of having a confrontational story to add the drama and the tension without so much as creating a villain as a person? Because that's the other thing, too. You can't have an elected official necessarily as a villain or a high-ranking public servant as a villain because then you almost alienate them. And it's, it's a really weird sort of dynamic that I've sort of been confronted with. Is like, how do you create drama and tension without having a traditional character villain to present. Well, I mean there are there are ways. I think I think if you watch a lot of uh a lot of children's television you can find inspiration about how to do that because a lot of a lot of kids shows they don't have you know people that are bad guys that need to be stopped. A lot of them have the the challenges and obstacles that the the main characters have to overcome are 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 um practical things or environmental things or whatever, right? Like 
like you could it, it, like if it, like I don't know if you have if you have a story about somebody like Tom Hanks in Castaway, right? Like there wasn't a, a villain in that story, but he definitely had obstacles that he had to overcome and growth that he needed to go through in order to do it. Right? That's a very good point. Yeah, yeah. You don't you don't necessarily need to have a, an antagonist in terms of a character, but you need to have some kind of antagonizing forces in the storyline that the that the that the characters have to have to deal with i think and i just realized earlier i said protagonist instead of antagonist so i do I apologize for that was really trying to let that slide <laughs> i could gracefully say it and hope that no one noticed but uh, <laughs> at least one person noticed <laughs> um, but but yeah and you're right in one of the the ways that i try to tell my stories with regards to open government, open data is a little bit like what you've identified, which is the enemy is not an, an individual, but it's a system, right? It's, it's the forces, it's the dynamics that currently exist. It's the status quo. And, um, and we try to make the best of it. So any other advice on how to sort of, how would you add more of that drama and tension in open government and open data stories? I think that what I would personally find interesting if there was a, a there was a movie or a book or, or or a story of some sort that was trying to get me to understand why a, a, a new system of government would be better than the existing system of government. You don't want to be preached to. I think that I would not want to feel like that was what I was being told. That's that's it. I, I would want to make that because ultimately if anybody's going to agree with anybody's point of view ever, they have to agree with it because they agree with it, not because they've been told to, right? Otherwise they're not really agreeing with it. They're just doing it. And so you can, you can, you can, you can lead a horse to water, right? I think that finding a way to tell your story that is something where if the, if the, if the purpose of the of you making your story was not to convince people of this new kind of government being good, uh, if the story would still work. So I've been rambling a little too much. I, I'm not really sure. No, no, no. This is great stuff. And to be honest with you, I, I tend to to be perhaps a little bit more preachy with my works, and maybe I should um, be self-aware of that 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 advice because I think you're probably right. But I, I will, at the same time, challenge you a little bit and give a couple of examples. One, I will agree with what you said, which is one, that's one of the things that the original Blade Runner had for itself, which is at the end, it does not necessarily, at the end of the original movie, it does not tell you whether or not Deckard is a replicant. It's le it's, it leaves a question open for the audience to answer for themselves. I really hope you have a spoiler warning at the beginning of this podcast. Well, if, if a 1981 movie <laughs> is, is, we're still doing spoiler warnings about Deckard uh, and, and Blade Runner, I think, I think I'm safe. Also the Titanic sinks at the end. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I understand that value, but we, it's been highly documented that Ridley Scott has a very strong opinion as to whether Deckard is a replicant or not. So I understand that value, but also understand the value of the, we'll call it the preachiness, which is say like a movie like District 9. Or although I've not seen it yet, I have read about it, which is uh, Parasite, which seemed to have- I have not seen it. Don't tell me spoilers on it. I, I'm waiting to see it. I'm waiting for it to be available. Don't talk about Parasite. 
<laughs> well, the only, well, there are strong social commentaries that are made in both District 9 and Parasite. In District 9, famously, it's sort of apartheid, and, and it, it sort of beats you over the head that you can have emotional attachment even to something as ugly as a prawn. So District 9 is very preachy in and of itself. So wh where's that line, I, I suppose, is what I'm trying to get at between sort of conveying a message versus conveying a story? Well, I mean, I think that the, I think that the message can be weaved into the story. And I think that both of those films are examples of movies that were popular because people really enjoyed the experience of watching them, not because they liked being told how to think. Uh, they may have changed their opinion about, about certain concepts by the end of those movies, but I think that it was because the movie, it's, it's what we were talking about. The movie was effective at, at communicating that idea. Uh, again, not having seen either of those films, it's hard for me to actually kind of talk about them. I'm being very vague and, and theoretical. Oh, you haven't seen District 9? No, I haven't. No. Really? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you hadn't. I can understand you had not seen Parasite because it's new, but I thought you had seen District 9, so I apologize for that. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, it's totally fine. Uh, that's my fault. Again, when a movie's old enough, it's your fault for not having watched <laughs> it. I think it's spoilers. When, when Endgame came out, didn't they give you three weeks to watch it? And then they were like, we're allowed to start posting spoilers again. I can imagine. Game of Thrones was probably infamous for that. Yeah. 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 So anyways, please continue with, you, wait, wait, with what you were saying. I think, I think ultimately any movie that's popular, there are many movies that aren't popular. And there are a lot of movies that also try to project opinions inside them. And I think that ultimately the thing that makes the movies that are beloved, beloved is the fact that they were experiences that people enjoyed for reasons that did not lie strictly with your reason for making the movie. So for example, if you enjoy a movie and you understand the message that the movie was trying to tell, that's, that's a personal thing for you. I don't want to feel like a filmmaker is nagging me. You know what I mean? I want to feel like a filmmaker entertained me for two hours. And by the end of that two hours of entertainment, I understood a point of view that I had not considered before. I don't want to sit down to be given a spiel. Well, I will bring up an example of, and I'm going to use Black Mirror here a little bit. And I remember doing some research on it. And there was an interesting perspective as to why Black Mirror is so popular and so thoroughly enjoyed while at the same time being um, so many people are afraid of, of what Black Mirror has to offer, like this is coming kind of deal, which is Black Mirror does not have necessarily cathartic endings. It just, the episode just ends and it leaves to the audience like, this is what we think is going to happen with the future. Like it, hate it. it. It's up to you to make your own decision on that. Yep. Um, and most people seem to hate it. But I think this applies a little bit to perhaps what open government, open data, and, and, and telling those stories of people like me say, like, this is going to be great, but maybe the best way to tell that story is to not have a cathartic kind of ending. Oh, that's totally possible. I just, I guess, I guess from my standpoint, for example, and again, without reading a screenplay that you've written, it's hard for me to say whether, whether, whether this is specifically appropriate, but um I would personally find it much more interesting to watch a 
a horror film or an action film or a romantic comedy or something like that set in a universe where the open government thing is an idea rather than watch a story about a guy trying to make open government interesting. Do you know what I mean? Oh, dude, I think you just blew my mind. That's so true. It's sort of open government, open data can't be the lead character here. That's right. Kind of like how in a way, going back to Star Wars, the force is, is there, but the end goal is not about learning about the force. It's about stopping the empire. And more, more importantly, also, uh, Luke Skywalker being able to stop the Empire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's great. That's, that's really good. And I, I'd like to, you know, we're going to start wrapping up the, the, the conversation here. And I'd like to expand a little bit to that last thought in terms of the type of sort of open gov related movie that you like to see. And I want to know if there's any more details, like, you know, whether it's a movie or a TV series or a podcast or a book, or whatever, like, what kind of story would you like to see about open government, about open government, whether it's in the background or in the foreground? I mean, I think that because you're talking about a, a concept that is, that, is, that is foreign to a lot of people and it's not something that is in our modern society in a well-known way, uh, I think, I think some, some kind of uh, sci-fi story might be kind of cool, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, look at look at Star Trek. The way their government works is very different than ours. But Star Trek isn't about that government being what's good. It's about the people inside that world, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's about you know fl- flying across, and now you run into the Romulans, and now you run into the Klingons, and all. You know what I mean? And 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 the the, the stories that come along the way. Uh, but in in theory, Star Trek could be argued to be a show about how the Federation is a kind of government that's different than ours. Right. So maybe something like that, but with open government. No, that's a very good point. And actually, that's one of the things that I like to, to mention to people, which is you, you, like Black Mirror presents a certain kind of dystopian future as we interpret it. And Star Trek, the next generation in particular, represents a much more utopian kind of a world. But in both those worlds, we don't necessarily know the laws, the regulations, the, the controls that are in place to protect privacy. So for example, in Star Trek, the next generation and other Star Trek movies, the computer knows where you are all the time, right? Like Captain Picard will plug and say, computer, where's Commander Riker? And it's like Commander Riker is in the Arboretum or something along those lines. Correct. There's, there's a tracking element there, but is it just that people have come to accept that's a way of life or are there laws and regulations that are present that protect Commander Riker from abuse. Well, and again, you have to like, I mean, those, those aspects, those details are not relevant to the story and to the characters that are, that are, that are being told in, in that episode of Star Trek. Right. So, so therefore it doesn't, those kinds of questions are things you might be able to ask yourself or you might be able to go on Reddit and, and get into a, to a forum conversation about it. But, uh, but in terms of uh, do they need to explain that? No, we're talking about editing. So let's, this is a great little wrap up because going back to the beginning, it might be one of those things that you can cut out of your story because it's not actually relevant to the story specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's a lot that, that, that needs to be explored in this content because there's a lot of stories that have been made by a lot of different things. Very few have been made about government and even fewer have been, have been made about 
open government. Um, so I'd love to maybe hopefully explore this conversation at a later time because we do need to wrap up the conversation right now. But before we do, is there anything that, that you'd like to bring up to our attention that maybe we didn't talk about? Are, do you have any questions for me even or any last minute sort of words to the wise that you'd like to offer? Oh boy. Um, I, I don't know. I guess, I guess all I would say to sort of sum up everything that we've been talking about is I think if you're going to be making a, a story about an idea or about a, a concept, just make sure that that story is interesting and fun. Yeah. That, that, and that's sort of the, the thousand dollar question or the $64,000 question of interesting depends on your audience, right? Some people sit at home and will read 50 pages of a policy document and find it interesting. Some people find watching the Kardashians is interesting. Um, unfortunately, that neither of those apply for me. So finding that balance and really, I guess what you're trying to get at perhaps is understand your audience. Who are you doing this for? A little bit like what a Kevin Smith movie is or a Quentin Tarantino movie is. They're very different stories, but they're geared for a very specific audience. Absolutely. I mean, you've got you've got to know who you're, you're, you're never going to make one movie that everybody loves. I mean, even the movies that everybody loves, quote unquote, not everybody actually loves them. Not actually everybody loves Avatar, even though it was the highest grossing film of all time when it came out, right? Yeah. Like, still is the case not everybody loves it even though arguably more people loved it than any other movie <laughs> at the time so because of that i think you've got to just know your audience and 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 yeah identify that well thank you so much uh for joining us you are uh obviously right now this podcast is being recorded and will soon be published during a period of covid19 so your industry has sort of uh much like every industry most around the world have been hit hard, but are, are there any projects that you're working on right now? Anything that's coming out that you're, you're, you're a part of or anything like that, that you'd like to, to share with us? Uh, I mean, a lot. Yeah. Like you said, everything's sort of on hold right now. So we, there's sort of no known start dates to any projects. Um, I mean, I did, I did finish a, a short film recently called, uh, called scattered uh, with a really good friend of mine. We, we, uh, we, we collaborated on it and, and she and I both starred in it. And uh, it's, it's a cute little story about a, a, a brother and sister who are uh, very estranged and not like each other at all. And, and them taking a road trip up North to scatter their parents' ashes. It's a nice little, 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 little story that Adam Lankin wrote. Mm. And uh, yeah. So me and Laura Trombley did that and that's going to be, hitting film festivals whenever film festivals kick back up good luck well good luck with the, the short film and hopefully we'll find um, scattered uh on our computers eventually and maybe it'll be picked up to be something much larger but uh until that time like i said i want to thank you for joining us and being so insightful with your answers and i'd like to also thank our audience for listening and as usual please leave a rating or a comment on how to make the podcast better, or if there's any guests or any stories that you'd like to hear. So until next time, let's make it open.